right, so we are continuing our series, Picture This, and there are copies of this available in the lobby for, I think, $7 or online on Amazon for 10 and we're, we're looking at some of the best of drawings, at least the people have said they were, and last night, I got the kind of feedback that people love that as well, and I'm just happier than a lark because I get to draw on a whiteboard, so I, I really enjoy you indulging me in uh, this series. And last week, uh, I've written several books that often coincide with uh, sermon series. Last week, uh, somebody brought up, as they often do, a book I wrote. It was a kid's book called Who Am I? And it's designed, it was named after a a game I made up with our kids when I would drive them to school when they were young to help them learn Bible personalities because biblical literacy is just tanking in our nation. And so I thought it'd be fun. How many of you want to play a game? Yay! All right, we're going to play a game. Uh, No prize for it, but we're going to play a game. All right, so... Here's how it goes. The way this book is written, it has seven questions, who am I? And I have parents, grandparents, homeschoolers, Christian school teachers. In fact, a teacher from Christian school came in last week because I do that every day in my class. My kids love it. So there's seven questions that ask you the question, who am I? You try to guess. Then there's about me, so parents can talk about that personality. And then conversation points, because lots of parents, grandparents, don't know how to talk to the, about the Bible with their kids. Then there's a coloring page, right? And so here's the deal. We're p- playing as a group. Say, don't answer out loud. Because we did this several years ago, and people keep wanting to spot off the answer, okay? So, all right, this should be an easy one. I lived in a beautiful garden. Who am I? Don't say. How many think you know? All right, a few. Okay, about half. Um, my wife and I probably didn't have a belly button. Who am I? Okay, you think of it, it's Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they wouldn't have a belly button, right? Anyway, all right, easy one. Let's go a little harder. We were king and queen over Israel and had a bad reputation because of all the evil we did. Who are we? Ooh, not quite so many. All right. Um, we arranged a spiritual contest, this is a giveaway, on top of Mount Carmel. Elijah, the prophet of God, faced off against 450 prophets of the idol god Baal to see which god could create fire simply by praying. When the prophets of Baal tried to defeat God, they failed. But Elijah succeeded in praying down fire from heaven. The fire consumed a sacrifice on a stone altar. Who are we? Did I say this is a great tool for adults to learn about Bible characters? <laughs> it really is. I got one I'm writing. I'm going, you know, even grown-ups would benefit from this and... A couple of you might. All right, I'll give you one more. As an evil queen, all right, now baby boomers, Rod Stewart even named her in a song, for goodness sake. As an evil queen, I was so angry when Elijah prayed and defeated the prophets of Baal, I threatened to kill him. Who am I? (laughs) Did you not hear the original directions? I'll see you after class. Ahab and Jezebel, you're right, okay. Anyways, that, that's available on, on Amazon.com. <laughs> that was cute, thank you. <laughs> All right, so this weekend we're going two directions. Picture this, we're going to talk about margin, and later we're going to talk about watch your step. Would you say margin? And this will apply to you. How many of you have uh, ever said or felt that you are busy enough you wish you had less stress, or you wish life would slow down a little. Let me see our hands, all right? And this kind of dovetails some. It's sort of the application side of the sermon, at least it can fit, one we did a couple weeks ago with all the bubbles, you know, about around family and life and all that sort of thing. And so I want to talk about stress. First of all, stress is unavoidable. 
Stress can, uh, it's not all bad. In fact, some stress is good for us. It motivates us. It keeps us on task, helps us finish things and accomplish things. But at the same time, too much stress can cause us dis-ease, disease. The literature abounds uh, in medical research and psychiatric research that our mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being uh, can be threatened in lots of ways by too much stress. And unfortunately, uh, life just accumulates it on its own, and uh, we, we often bring it up on ourselves. So I'd like to look at a few verses. The first point, if you have the CLC app, and uh, in the app there's places to take notes, and there's some verses not in the app, you're going to want to take notes. Uh, but first of all, humans are not created for ongoing hectic. We are not made for 24-7. Let's delve into some scripture passages that kind of address that. In Luke chapter 10, 41, there were two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who were good friends of Jesus. And he's over at their house one day. And in Luke 10, 41, the Lord answered and said to Martha, 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 you're worried and bothered about so many things. Take a deep breath, and as you let it out, just say, so many things. I mean, it just piles up, and we get wrapped up in that. You look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the, is the location of what? Ten Commandments, all right? Did I tell you that who am I? I was available on Amazon for ten. <laughs> ten Commandments. They're God's guideline for living. Before I read this one in particular, imagine when it was read the first time. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for four centuries. They had lost touch with who God was, living in a very pagan environment, uh, the Egyptian empire. You look at the, the hieroglyphics inside the pyramids, and they had all kinds of gods. And so they lost touch with who God is. They're delivered from slavery by Moses, God working through him. They're in the wilderness, and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and receives Ten Commandments, and he comes down to these people who don't know who this God is anymore, uh, the God of Abraham. And so Moses is now saying, hear ye, hear ye, I'm going to give to you, God wrote on this stone with his own hand, he wrote the Ten Commandments, and this is how he wants us to live. All these former slaves, bated breath, listening to what he says. Imagine their reaction when he reads them this, because they were slaves for four centuries in the Egyptian empire, a hard, harsh, dominating empire, seven days a week, grueling work they're doing. And he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And the slaves went, yay, God. You've got to be kidding me. We've been working seven days a week for four centuries. Now the law is that we have to take a day off. Let me think about that. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You were not made for 24-7. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that means you. You weren't made for 24-7. In fact, we don't need an Egyptian empire to force that on us. We force it on ourselves. 
and I'm old enough to see it happening. If you heard the story of the frog in the kettle, if you take a frog and drop him in a kettle of extremely hot water, he'll jump out to try to get to save his life. If you put him in a kettle of cool water and just gradually turn the heat up, he'll boil to death because he doesn't notice the change. We are boiling ourselves to death with stress because we're not made for 24-7. See, let's go back a history lesson to show you when the, when, the, when, the, when the kettle wasn't on yet. When I grew up, all right, there were these things called blue laws. Stores were not open. There, in fact, it wasn't until high school there was even a mall. <laughs> okay, so how old is he? All right. um, Kmart wasn't open. Not, it was not open. And when I, when I was in high school, I worked at a grocery store packing bags and, and stocking shelves. And at Rigo's Stop and Shop, we did have to stay open late one night because we closed at 5. We had to stay open late one night for people who might be coming home from work, having to get groceries, that couldn't come on Saturday. So on Friday nights, that was our late night, we stayed open until 6 o'clock. <laughs> Man. If you watch television... There were, count them, three channels in Cleveland, three, five, and seven. Somewhere on high school, UHF came in or VHF, or whatever, and we had channel 22 also. And the channels shut off at midnight with something called a test pattern. The, the Star Spangled Banner played at midnight, and then there was a test pattern on your screen all night long if your TV was on were strips of color. In my house, they were strips of gray, okay, because we didn't have a color TV, and the TV was like that big anyway, all right? And there was no such thing as, as earbuds and streaming music and none of that. It was a more rhythmic, peaceful, undemanding life. And I will be the first among us to admit I have bought milk at Meyer after midnight now. We just go, 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 go. And we are not made for 24-7. It is no surprise that stress-related dis-ease, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, relational, is epidemic. And so the Bible says in Psalm 46.10, hurry up and know that I'm God. Cease striving. Other versions say, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Let's look at another verse in, in Isaiah. Those who, read that word, wait. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. What does it say? They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I want us to do a spiritual exercise. And so I'm asking you to put your hands on your lap. Take a nice deep breath or two. And I want you to just sit there in silence. Don't look around. Don't look at your phone. Don't look at nothing. Just sit there, pay attention to your breathing, and think about the goodness or the love or the mercies or the blessings of God. Just think. Go.
Some of you are already wondering how long is he going to do this. That may be the most spiritual 30 seconds you'll spend all day. Not to rival what our incredible worship team has done. But how seldom and infrequently we are just being still to know that he's God. How seldom are we inclined when we are stressed and worried and frazzled and whatever, how seldom do we just wait on the Lord when we're exhausted to gain new strength? Nowhere does the Bible tell us, hurry up and you'll know him better. Hurry up and you'll see him. No, it is, we are not made for 24-7. And so let's ask God for the wisdom and the help to get a rhythm in our life. And so to personalize that and sort of a different way to show it than I did a few weeks ago, uh, for many of us, uh, this is our life right here. And what you'll see is all these components in here, I don't think any of them, you'll go up, I don't need that. Unless you're maybe retired, but there's work, there's church, there's sleep, shopping, school, sports, fun, chores, homework, carpool, holidays, yard work, exercise, online, more work, church, doctor, relatives, groceries, volunteering, streaming, podcasts, TV, vacation, drive time to anywhere, walk the dog, house, house cleaning, yeah, eating out, sports practice, texting, phone, social media, pay bills, banking, work, school, home, church stuff, kid care of any, any stage, grandkids, health issues, relax, friends, I could go on and on. And when I look at that, it kind of wears me out just thinking about it. I feel my blood pressure go up that I just got to go back down when I took a moment. And so this is a life You'll notice one thing missing there is that there is no margin. This is the life that for the most part is largely unintentional. We just take the demands, the expectations, the whatever, and we just keep stacking it in the to-do list. We just keep packing it. Okay, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And we don't really question it much. We just do it, do it, do it. And we go, go, go 24-7, and we just get all stressed out. Suggested next step would be at least to do this. And I realize uh, that the younger you are, the less this analogy fits. I go to meetings now with people that are a third my age. And uh, they like to take digital notes. Me, I prefer a notebook, a notepad. My motto is, you know me, kill a tree. <laughs> <laughs> love paper to this day I preach off of paper so anyways um, but this is called margin alright it's a, little, it's a little, little just buffer around things on notebook paper there was margin you didn't write on the left hand side you didn't write across the top and so life is full of all kinds of activity and demands some are enjoyable some just must be done Demands and distractions in life are constant. At least we force some margin here. And so you can, I'm going to just force it and make it happen. At least there's some intentionality and pray for God to give you the grace. Let's do that. But uh, if you've ever watched uh, Simon Sinek and uh, his idea of getting the why, I'm a big one about rationale. I think if you have a, a why driving you, it kind of flips that switch of insight, and then it helps you figure out the what and the how. And so with this last one, I would 
I would uh, offer that instead, if we would live a prioritized life that's more on purpose, think Rick Warren, purpose-driven life, that if we have this according to our priorities, it's just easier to make the decisions, to make things fall in place. And so let me uh, carry my cheat sheet with me. Would you say, and because these aren't in your notes, and I'm sure you're going to want to take notes, would help you remember it, would you say Matthew 6.33? Well-known verse, seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That is meant to be the prioritizing verse of our lives. Sadly, and uh, many of us will not treat this like a four-alarm fire that we should, sadly, studies show by Christian sociologists, okay, so they're of our camp, and they study people who are far from God, they study people who are church-going, Christians, love the Lord, whatever, they're all sold out, and they find that people who live like this and people who live like hell and deny God, when you look at their lifestyle, their calendar, how they spend their time, their energy, their whatever, there is, there is no notable difference. I would suggest something's missing. Something's not quite right. Because if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it seems like that would be reflected in the hectic, crazy way that we live. So that's, that's the starting point. Another verse to add is Mark 12.30. Say Mark 12.30. Boy, this kind of talks about our relational demeanor. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the number one commandment. The next one, just like it, in this same passage, love your neighbor as yourself. So practice healthy love of yourself, taking care of yourself, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally. But then also share that towards other people. And above all, love God with a passion. The next verse that I would give is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Say Philippians 2, 3. Actually, put verse 4 in there as well. Basically, Paul here calls us to a heart of humility. Be humble about other people, not selfish. And, 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 to, and to value the needs of other people above your own. You've still got needs, but kind of put people first. It's a you first kind. Of, it's a love your neighbor as yourself kind of thing. And then uh, 3 John verse 2. Say 3 John verse 2. There's only one chapter there. Uh, beloved, I wish that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So look at your entire life, total life prosperity in every dimension. And then Exodus 20, say Exodus 20. And say Matthew 5. So you might wonder why those go together. Exodus 20, as I mentioned earlier, is the Ten Commandments. Moses went up on top of Mount Sinai and received Ten Commandments from God. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes up on top of a mountain and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he takes those Ten Commandments and reinterprets those. He doesn't lower the bar, he actually raises the bar. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, it's not just murder, most of us have never murdered anybody here, I hope. He says, if you're just hateful in the way you spew your venom and your anger at people, you're guilty. He says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Well, you haven't hopped in the sack with somebody. No, but if you commit adultery in your mind, you're guilty. So he makes it a matter of the heart. 
And so when we have this as our why, okay, I, I'm seeking first his kingdom, loving God with all I am and other people, and I want to be humble and serve others, and I want to be prosperous and healthy in my life, and I want to live according to God's word, that will help us then go through this and say, okay, take that out, that out, not as much as that, and let's get some margin here. And so I'm going to stop for a second, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe you can take a screenshot if you like. Lord, how am I doing you got that margin thing all worked out? Good for you. If you do, it's probably not permanent because Satan keeps trying to crowd it out, throw stuff in there. But I think to have that motivating this takes ongoing intentionality because we live in a very busy, stressed out, vying for your time, attention, energy kind of way. And we weren't made for 24-7. We were made for rhythm, for rest, for work, for activity, for fun, for recreation, all that, but also for resting in him. Let's go to the next drawing. Picture this. Say, watch your step. And I want to talk about a slippery slope to avoid. And we'll look at a passage in detail. But before we do, let me talk about a slippery slope. I think of two things when I, when I think of this passage we're going to look at in James. I remember when I was a kid... We'd go on vacation or go to a state park or whatever. I remember staying in cabins one time. And, and so I loved it when on vacation that we would stop at a, a roadside hotel that had a built-in pool because we didn't have a pool. Yeah, pool. All right. And so I, I loved, I just, we'd, 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 we'd check in and I would be in the pool until I had to get out. And I was just, just a kid, so I'm 10, maybe 10 years old or so. And so I'm in the pool. You know how they go from shallow down to the deep end, right? Okay. And so I'd, I'd be doing this like bouncing, you know, getting, and you get to go from here to here to here, right here, here, and get right near the edge, right, and you're doing like this, okay, I remember on more than one occasion, all of a sudden I went too far, boom, and I disappeared, thought I was going to drown, right, because I, I went too far, hit the slippery part of the, of the slope, and I just went, phew, at one time, man, I, I literally thought I was going to meet Jesus at 10 years old, boom, I was drowning, drowning myself, because I hit that slippery slope, phew, everybody else ever done that, all right? When I hear that, when I see that, rather, think of that, I have a flashback to a visit with a friend of ours. We've been in ministry together in the early 80s, and Joyce and I stopped by to, to see him and their family. He, he had ministered at a very large church um, after we parted ways, and he'd had a, a marital affair more than once. And we were close enough as friends, and I remember saying to him, man, of all the people that I would have guessed would crash and burn morally slash sexually, it wouldn't have been you. What happened? I mean, it wrecked his family. And he, he said, you know, all I can tell you is you just keep getting closer and closer to the edge, and it's a slippery slope, and when you hit that point on the slope, you're gone, no control. And I thought of the moral danger of doing this closer, 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 and people who never would do. Name the sin. We're not all tempted by the same things. We have, if we were to list out, there's probably half a dozen areas of sin that, that we're tempted in as a group, but no one ever necessarily exactly the same one. And that reminds me of James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial... For once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God allows trials in our life. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so let me draw my version of James 1. The slippery slope. Starts out, say, temptation. Temptation in and of itself is not a sin. How many of you in the last week have been tempted? Can you see your hand? Okay, I'm going to ask that question. All right. Your hand should go up. I, I, at least, if not, God's really playing favorites. How have you been tempted this past week? Lose your temper, tell a lie, lustful thoughts, being selfish, being judgmental. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we're tempted. The temptation is not a sin. All right. Now, we have an accuser. The Bible says Satan's the accuser of the brethren. He is really good at jumping on even on temptation and making you feel guilty that you're even tempted. But then the slippery slope goes down from there and say lust. Oops. Almost changed colors. Lust is when that happens. Hey. Lust leads to sin, and sin leads to death and destruction. Temptation is, whoa, check that out. Temptation is, pile on that gossip. Temptation is, I don't think I'm going to quite tell the truth. Lust is playing it forward a little bit, whoa, what would that be like? Well, if I did tell that, I could this. And then we go ahead and act on it, and then the consequences are there. Note to self, you got an adversary. Satan's really good at what he does. He tempts us, and he never says, hey, want to ruin your life? He never says, want to become addicted to, name the substance, and lose your family, your job, your health. No, he always starts with, that'll be cool, that'll be fun. You think he went to Adam and Eve, want to ruin the whole human race? No, he started with, have you seen that fruit on the tree you're not supposed to eat? And when Eve ate it, this is delicious. Adam, you've got to try this. The pleasures of sin are real. That's why we do it. There are benefits to it. But they're short-lived. And it leads to this. Let's look at a perfect example of this uh, in someone who is a Bible hero. Let's look at David. Let me read for you from 2 Samuel chapter 11. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. What we want to say is, what are you doing in Jerusalem in the springtime? You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Kings are supposed to go out to battle. That's where you're supposed to be. And you will notice that many times this happens when you're at the wrong place at the wrong time. Mama told you not to come. Twelve baby boomers got that. All right. Now when, David, when evening came, David arose from his bed walked around the roof of the house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Rooftop temptation. Not a sin yet. 
David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David said, Hey, boys, go check her out for me. David sent messengers. The king wants to see you. And when she came to him, he lay with her, and when she purified herself, she returned to her house. The woman conceived and sent and told David, I'm pregnant. See the progression? And then David does his own version of death and destruction. You can read it. David attempts to cover up. Did you ever try to cover up your sin? Of course you have. And so what does David do? Oh my goodness, she's pregnant. Okay, he sends to the commander and says, send Uriah home on, med- on, on, uh, on leave. He figures Uriah's going to come home. He'll be with his wife. People with two plus two together when she ends up pregnant and nobody will know any other, any different. Uriah comes home and he is so loyal to David and to his men. He says, how can I go home and enjoy my wife and my home while everybody else is on the battlefield? I'll not do that. He sleeps outside of David, the gates at David's palace and refuses to go home. Now what? David writes a message to his commander and sends Uriah back to the commander with a sealed message so he can't break the king's seal. He would not do that. He's that loyal. And when the, when the commander opens the, the letter, he had to be dumbfounded because the letter said, put Uriah in the line of battle where you're certain he will be killed. Obedient commander, that's exactly what he did. Uriah died. David took her as his wife and he figured cover up complete. But I still remember my mom would always say, she'd point at me and she'd be sure your sins will find you out. Nathan the prophet confronts him. And the death and destruction, while God forgave him and restored him, when you read David's life and his reign, the dysfunction that this sowed into his life, he had to deal with the after effects. We often deal with the the practical consequences of our sin, although God forgives us of the spiritual consequences. So David... We see his pattern of after God's. If it can happen to David, say if it can happen to David, it can happen to me. And so, let me give you a couple of perspectives on, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the destruction that happens here. And more than that, um, in, uh, let me share with you, Isaiah 59, verse 2, it's now on the screen. The prophet says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. Sin hides us, separates us from God. Romans 6.23 warns us then, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So what are we to do? Well, the Bible gives us ample warning, and let me give you uh, four things to do when it comes to temptation because the time to fight is here and here. Say, choose an alternative. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Don't think you're immune to it. Don't think, oh, that could never happen to me. No, David thought that as well. So be sober about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, 
provide a way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. Lord, I'm being tempted. What do I do instead? Soul fast is a good example of that, praying for other people. All right, the next thing. Next thing you do, would you say, here's a real critical strategy. You ready? All right, it's real complicated. Say, run away. Joseph is one of my favorite heroes because that's exactly what he did when he was seduced by Potiphar's really hot wife. Ran away. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, flee from idolatry, run away. These things that want to take the place of Christ in your life, run away from that. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Every other sin is outside the body, but that's against your own body. And 2 Timothy 2 says, run away, flee from youthful lusts. The third one, say resist. Because in James, the Bible says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But you have to stand. We get so intimidated and overwhelmed by it, like we can't fight it. I remember when I was a kid and I had a paper route and I had to deliver the paper wherever they said. Um, some were in the mailbox at the street. Some were in a mailbox at the house. Some I opened the front door, the screen door, stormed it and threw the paper in and slammed it real quick. I remember the Toths had two ferocious dogs and they wanted me to put the paper inside the front door. I hated summertime because their big door was open and the storm door was there and I would try to creep up so the dogs wouldn't hear me. And I would open, as soon as they heard me, at times two, I would hear them, open the door, throw it and slam it shut. And every time I did, yeah. Those wiener dogs never got me. <laughs> they were the biggest dachshunds I've ever seen, to my defense. If you put like 14-inch legs on them, they'd have been real intimidating. So one time I came up and I thought, I am no longer going to be afraid of these dachshunds. And when they came at me, I just went, ah! And they, ar, 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 ar. okay. Satan's a whole lot of intimidation. You resist him, he's got to flee. And then finally, ask for help. Say, ask for help. And there's a famous prayer that we pray that we often don't realize that near the last end of the prayer is exactly that, a prayer for help. And I'd like you to pray it with me. We'll put the verse on the screen. Jesus said, pray then in this way. We just say it out loud. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's the ask. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Ask him for help. Be like David when you do fall, because what David did is he repented and he prayed, God, don't take your spirit from me. Read Psalm 51. And Galatians 6 tells us that when we as believers know someone else who's been caught in sin, gently restore them with a sense of humility. So we thought it would be a good way to kind of land this message just to go ahead and take communion together. If you have your elements, prepare to receive them. If you didn't receive them coming in, if you missed it, hold your hand up and our section leader will get them to you. I'd like to read for you Paul's instruction about the Lord's Supper. 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Later, he says, when we do this, let a person examine themselves and eat and drink, eat the bread and drink of the cup. And so as we listen to this song that simply invites us, as the words of Jesus, remember me, allow yourself to take a trip down memory lane and remember the goodness of God. Remember when you first said yes to his forgiveness and his grace. And as you allow the Lord to examine you, if you need help here, ask for it. If you need help here, ask for it. But as you sit and listen, likewise, just remember the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God for you. Then we'll take together. Cracked and faded by the years. Remember me in a sanctuary filled with silent prayer. In days to age and heart to heart, bound by grace and Peace. 
keep ending up over there. We have an accuser that wants to pile on and make us feel like we can never do it and we're a failure. And I've slid down that more times than I'd like to admit. And again, the guilt and shame, the accusation that Satan wants to bring against you. And then I, I remember Jesus talking to a real religious guy named Nicodemus. He says that famous verse that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. But the next verse, the next verse, speaking of himself, he said the son of man didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn you and make you feel all kinds of worthless. There you go again. Stay in your shame. But the world through him might be saved. Guilt's not a very profitable motivation conviction, yes. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit to search us, do you need help? Is the kettle at a boiling point? Are you somewhere on that slippery slope? He needs grace, his love. Ask, he'll give it. Let's pray. Jesus, we follow the words of that song and we remember you. God of grace and love, kindness and mercy and strength, holiness, justice. For those of us, Lord, who need margin in our life and we keep cluttering it up with things that, that don't matter, that crowd you out, help us, Lord. Let those priorities burn in our hearts to the place you give us wisdom and motivation to, to bring about change and help us in our busyness and our hectic rush to be still and know that you're God. Give us that rhythm that honors you that we were created for. Lord, that slippery slope we're all, all too familiar with. Help us, Lord, to find alternatives to, to flee temptation, to resist the devil. And when we don't, God, forgive us, we pray. We pray for restoration and cleansing and grace. And so we are so thankful that you are that kind of loving God and Savior and we can come to you. And so today as we eat this bread, we remember your body broken for us. And as we drink this cup, we remember your blood shed for us that speaks to us of forgiveness and redemption and healing. Thank you, Jesus. We take this in your name. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Lord, I pray a blessing of joy, contentment, sound mind, discipline. And I pray clarity, God, for our path forward, individually, as a congregation, a church family. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.
Thanks so much for being here. We're doing a deeper dive on this Wednesday night. Have a great week. God bless.